0: All right, well welcome everybody. Good morning, good morning. Uh, We're so happy to be with you here this morning. Um, We are concluding our Be Still series. Today's the last week of it. to just me speaking about myself, I've been really enjoying this series, uh, diving in. It's been very encouraging and also very convicting, and so uh, I hope that it's been an encouragement to you. And if you want to follow up or catch up, you can uh, do so at pomerado.com messages. The previous main points on the back of your sermon notes, if you want a quick reminder. But we've got a lot to navigate through this morning, so I'm going to jo- ask you to join me in a word of prayer, and then we will dive in uh, to what God has for us. So will you join me as we pray together? Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for who you are. God, we thank you that you are a God, that you are so big that you hold the entire universe in the palm of your hands, and yet you are so intimate to us or with us. You desire to meet us here again. So God, we are thankful for both your bigness And also your intimacy, God. We love you. We pray, God, as we dive into your word, that I would decrease, you would increase, that you would speak in a powerful, personal, impactful way to each and every one of us, those that are here in this room and those that are listening online later. I pray that everyone who hears my voice knows to the very fiber of their being that they are deeply loved by you. And that if that's all that we learned today, that that is a day well spent. God, we love you. And through your son's holy and precious name we pray, amen. So yesterday, Shaylin and I, my, my seven-year-old, were talking um, just about the idea of um, the difference between knowing uh, like about God and knowing God and really knowing him. And, and yeah, she's seven years old and we're having these, rela- these talks already, which is exciting to me. But we're talking through it and I kind of gave her an example. What I said was, you know, imagine like, so honey, Think about someone who comes to church uh, on a Sunday morning. Maybe they just come one time. And they come one time, and I introduce myself uh, as, we're, as I'm talking, and they see a sermon. You know, that person may be able to say, oh, no, I'm, like, I know who, who JP is. Like, I've, I've seen him. Like, I, I know about him. And it's like, well, that person, even if they never come back again, they might be able to say, oh, at least I've heard about this person, the pastor at that church. But they might know. But I'm like, but honey, How much more, like, do you know me? Like, that's a huge difference in relationship, right? And so she's like, yeah, Dad, like, because I know, like, the food you like. I know the things you like. I know the things you don't like. In my mind, I'm like, if you know the things I don't like, then why are we still doing them? And so uh, just trying to say, you know, she knows me, and we know each other. And it's not just an awareness of, it's an intimacy with. And we talk about that because that's something that deep down, all of us, all of us, want to know and be known. We all want to know and be known. We, we don't want to walk around. We may, we may feel unsafe because of relationships that we've had, and so we put up walls. We, we may want to you know kind of hide or, or kind of be one of the crowd, but part of some of those reasons that happens, why we put up walls and why we want to hide is because maybe we've been hurt before, and because we've been hurt, We'd rather build up a wall and and have isolation rather than risk being known and risk maybe being hurt again. And one of the, the biggest walls that all of us will have to break down is this idea of being willing to know other people and be willing to be known by other people. And this is something that as we are talking about our sermon today being to know and be known. We're going to be in 1 Peter 1 and and, uh, starting in verse 22. But as you get there, we recognize we all long to be known. We all long to have that community. We all long for someone to see us, to know us, to value us, and to love us. And sometimes it just takes a lot of bravery in order to step into, into that journey. Now, a few weeks ago, as we the first couple of weeks of Being Still, the Be Still series, we talked about how it's in our troubled times, not just in our quiet times, that we need to be still. We looked at Psalm 46, and as the earth gives way and as mountains fall, how it's in the midst of the chaos that we are called to be still. It's not just something that we do when we need to be, have a quiet time on a daily basis. It's when the world is anything but quiet is when we need to be quiet before God the most. And then we talked about how there's overload and how we need to have margin. Our lives are so busy and so hectic that we need to have margin so we're not going to the edge of ruin and disaster. But instead, we create a margin around us so we're not going and running on empty our whole lives. Because instead of being able to run on or being running on empty our whole lives and we have margin, we're able to live lives that are full. And so we talked about these two things, and then we've taken the past couple weeks to if you if you were here with us, I had a, a table over here and I had rocks, and we talk about big rocks we need to schedule in our lives, entering into the fall season, with school starting up, with craziness that just happens with extracurricular activities, with small groups starting back up, things at work, trying to push to the end of the final of the end of the year, that there's all this craziness and hectic around us. And so what are the things that we need to make sure we specifically set aside, and how do we do that? So two weeks ago, we talked about Sabbath as a big thing that we want to set aside on a weekly basis, a time to stop, to rest, to delight, to contemplate about God. Last week, we talked about the need to tune out the voices around us to tune into God and so that we can listen to him, choose daily to listen to him, not just on a Sunday morning and we hear a pastor speak, but that God would be speaking to us all the time. And so today, we've talked about loving God and carving out time for that. And our topic today, when we talk about to know and be known, the desire is for us to look at the second half of the greatest command, or the, great, uh, yeah, the greatest commandments. The first is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is to love your neighbor as yourself. What does it look like for us to carve out time to love our neighbors, love those around us, to know those around us, and to be known by them? And... Our main point for today is that this happens best when we recognize this. We need to know people and to be known by them. And this happens best when we have people to do life with and, all caps, and to share Christ with. That this happens best to have this needs of relationship being met when we have people to do life with and people to share Christ with. As I mentioned, we're going to be in 1 Peter chapter 1, starting in verse 22. If you brought your own Bible or a Bible app, that's awesome. We'll be 1 Peter 1, 22 through 2, 12. If you need a Bible, you didn't bring one today, I would encourage you to go on uh, the seat rack in front of you. You could grab our church Bible. We'll be on page 1887 um, as we dive into the scripture. And as we start in your notes, the top part there is people to do life with. And as we have that header there, people to do life with. We recognize this point that we'll see in the first few verses of our passage, that we need people to do life with because we long to be plugged in to a loving community. We need people to do life with because we long to be plugged in to a loving community. Starting in verse 22, now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth so that you have sincere love for each other, love one another deeply from the heart. For you've been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. For all people are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word that was preached to you. Now we stop here because, like our note said, we need people to do life with, because we long to be plugged into a loving community that... We have people around us that know Jesus and others who don't, but those that we rely on in our times of need, those that we ask to encourage us, those that we ask to hold us accountable, those that we ask to challenge us, if those are people that don't know Jesus, then they're playing by a whole different set of rules, and they're not going to understand the importance and the value it is for us To know Jesus and to live for him. So we need people to do life with and those that when we do life with them, we are in a loving community with them. That in verse 22, when it talks about there's two different words that they use for the word of love. And so in the Greek, there's four different words and we're going to focus on two of them briefly. The first one is talking about the sincere love that came out of the truth that we've been purified and washed from the truth, and now we are able to have sincere love for one another. That word love is the word Philadelphia, the word that talks about this brotherly love. And it's because we have a brotherly love in a community that then the call from Peter, what he asks us to do, or what he tells us to do rather, is that now that you've had this brotherly love, now love each other deeply from the heart. Love one another deeply from the heart. And this word for love is the word agape, which is kind of this idea. Of, it's the Christian love, the godly love, the, the love that God calls us to that is higher than any of the other types of love. It's the kind of love that God has for us and that we ought to have for one another. And so what we see here is, is this uh, quote from uh, Warren Wiersbe that talks about what this Christian love is like. And he says it this way. Christian love is not a feeling. We talk about our feelings of love a lot, but this is what's important. It is a matter of the will. We show love to others when we treat them the same way God treats us. God forgives us, so we forgive others. God is kind to us, so we are kind to others. It is not a matter of feeling, but of willing. And this is something we must constantly work at if we are to succeed. That We know there are differences that we love Jesus, and there are still things that might be different about us. We we don't like the same things. We may not like the same food. I mean, whatever it is, we root for different sports teams. We like different types of music and movies. I mean, there are things that might be different about us, but the differences within the body of Christ should never be so great as to take away that which unites us, that we recognize that those of us who've given our lives to the Lord, we recognize that we are far from God, that, there is, that we have fallen short, and that it's only by confessing with our mouth and believing in our hearts that Jesus is Lord that we're able to experience eternal life. And so life, in view of eternity, we're not born of a perishable seed, something that's just going to be here on this earth and die on this earth. We have an imperishable seed. We have an imperishable, unstoppable, forever love of God and relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And because that is true, that which unites us must be far more important in our lives. And we must ha- find more value that with other believers, that that's what unites us rather than what might separate us. And obviously, this is a really small example, but I remember growing up and liking the San Francisco 49ers, still do, and I remember that there was a uh, they were playing um, the St. Louis Rams at the time, and Kurt Warner was playing, and he was very good, and you know, won MVPs and Super Bowls. Oh, okay, let's not get crazy. I'm just <laughs> kidding. Uh, I'm just kidding. He's very, very good, right? But I remember like, not liking him, because when someone else is good at the expense of your team, you don't like them. So I gave my life to the Lord, and I find out that he's a Christian. I'm like, I'm conflicted, because... <laughs> I know I shouldn't like you, but I have to like love you or something. And so um, it's just these moments, like it's small things that might divide. But in the end, truth be told, when it comes to Kurt Warner or when it comes to people, like in the end, he and I are going to be wearing the same colors, not 49ers red and Rams blah. We're going to be wearing the same white robes of righteousness before the king. What unites us must be greater than what divides us. And as a body of Christ being united, that is what will shine a light so that people who are far from God will say, there's something different about you guys. And so we need to be, we would long to be part of that loving kind of community, that kind of community that knows us and we are known and we know others. And even when we make mistakes, they still love us. Even when we fall short, they still love us because That is a core thing that all of us need, the need to belong and to be known, to be loved. It's something we all desire, even if we're not ready to admit it because of our wounds. The next part of our notes talks about, again, the people we do life with that need to be the closest ones to us. Those we do life with should be people who know us and help us to grow closer to God. The people we do life with should know us, should know our struggles, and should know God and help us to grow in him. So let me read uh, chapter 2 of 1 Peter, verses 1 through 3, as we continue in the section. Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. Like newborn babies, crave pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation. Now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. Now, what we need in our lives are people who know us, who know where we have malice, who know where we have deceit, and who can call us out on those things. That if we aren't known and we don't allow ourselves to be known, then no one will be able to call us out on things. No one will be able to hold us accountable for things. That there will be no such thing as iron sharpening iron because we would never put ourselves in a position to be sharpened. And so for us to be able to recognize that we need people who know us and will help grow us closer to God that I want to share a story from Confessions of a Pastor by Craig Groeschel. He shares the story of a couple from a small group of his church uh, at lifechurch.tv. And so in his church he writes the story of a small group and there's a woman named Maggie in the small group and a gentleman named Trevor and it's a co-ed small group and what he shares is that Maggie was someone that um, she was going to church and went to small group, but her profession was as an exotic dancer. And so she had this, she, you know, she, she hid that from everybody, didn't want anyone to know, didn't feel safe to be able to share that um, in that context. And Trevor was someone who was also in the group. And Trevor was in this community. He was in the small group and even though it was a co-ed small group, he was known enough and he knew it was a loving community enough that he wanted people to be let into what he was struggling with. And so he shares in a small group setting, you know, I've looked at pornography every day for the past week. And the group, co-ed group, the group comes alongside him and, and they're praying for him and they're holding him accountable, but, but they're not destroying him. They're not kicking him out for being imperfect because if we had a church of perfect people, none of us would be here. Like, It's one of those things where they didn't chastise him and cast him aside. They loved him. They nurtured him. They encouraged him. They challenged him, and they prayed for him. Well, the story goes that they say amen. They pray. And Maggie, again, the exotic dancer, starts crying. And she says, how is it that you're not destroying him? How is it that you're not tearing him down? I mean, that's such a bad thing. And how is it that you could still love him in the midst of that? And in the midst of her sharing that, she breaks down and says, she tells them that she's an exotic dancer. She doesn't want to keep doing this, but the money's tight. She has to provide. And so she's like, I don't want to do this. And so Trevor says, you know what, Maggie, if you quit your job this week, this small group will cover you financially. We'll make sure you get on your feet. And so she goes in and she quits. The other group agrees and she quits. And so then uh, someone else from the group, a different church member or group member, goes and finds her a different job later on that week. And now Maggie is able to be a part of a ministry ministering to women in that industry through Craig Rochelle's church. And so think about the steps of this. That it's because of Trevor being known enough and being willing to let people into his garbage and his sin and his struggle That by being brave enough to do that, Maggie then had enough bravery in order to share where she was. And now she can now share with other people the hope and the life and the purpose that God has for them, even if they're in the same industry. And imagine what would have happened. Because we're talking about the need for us to carve out time to know others and be known to do life with people. Imagine if both Trevor and Maggie decided, I'm just too busy for a small group. I just can't do it, there's too much going on, life's too crazy, too many bills. I mean, whatever the reasons may be, if they didn't carve out that time and commit to that, then Trevor wouldn't have been able to, to feel known enough, Maggie wouldn't be able to, be able to feel comfortable enough to, be, to confess and share what's going on with her and then be set free out of that, and then more women and people who are in that industry would not have been blessed by her testimony. And it starts with us carving the time out to allow ourselves to know others and be known by others. So verses 2 and 3, as we're looking at this passage, as we read, like newborn babies crave spiritual milk, that in the same way that a newborn craves the mother's milk, that's how we ought to crave for the word of God. Now, Hebrews talks about how we can't stay on spiritual milk forever, talks about how we need to be able to grow up into the meat of the word, that that those of us who started with milk should be able to be teachers by now. But for now, how does it start? It starts by craving the milk of the word of God. And then when you taste the word of God, when you taste who he is and his character and his love, well, then you taste and you see that he is good. You don't want to let go of that. You want to hold fast and surround your life around emphasizing that, that uh, relationship. Next thing in your notes, as we move to the next couple of verses, we have been changed by God to make a change in this world. We've been changed by God to make a change in this world. As you write those notes, I'm going to read from verses 4 through 6. As you came to him, the living stone, rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him, You also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in Scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now, when you think about this idea that Jesus was a living stone, he was precious to God, rejected by men and women, chosen by God, precious to God, and we are like him. It says, you too, like living stones, are now being built in to the house, to the church of God. And so I want to take a moment because many of us have felt rejected by other people. Many of us know our own brokenness and know our own struggles and our own sins and our own hurts and our own habits and our own hangups. And we know these things. Whether we let other people know, well, that's part of the discussion for this morning, but we know them. And yet we know that if we've been able to taste and see the Lord is good, that now we know that God uses our mess to be a message to others. God uses our brokenness in order to help others find wholeness. God uses the moments of our deepest darkness to be a light to other people so they too can be called out of darkness and into light. That God takes our wounds and he heals our wounds to help others. And so I want to share a, a, um, an art piece that I found uh, recently called Real Life is Rubbish. And what this is, is this is various pieces of trash that um, were put together by, I want to make sure I get the names right, Tim Noble and Sue Webster. And so you just kind of can see it put together and it's all various different things. Let's go to the next photo. Thank you. So the next one is a different perspective of it, a different um, angle. And it just looks like, just looks like rubbish. Because says real life is rubbish. It just looks like garbage. It looks like things that have been cast aside and discarded. But then what happens? Let's look at what happens when you shine a light through it at just the right angle. You look along the back wall, and you see what looks to be two people sitting and talking. Or mad at each other, probably, because they're facing away. I don't know. But you see this beautiful thing because what we see here is what might be discarded, what this trash that is found on the ground, someone could take. And someone would have a mindset of saying, okay, this isn't trash. There's something we can do out of this. And they would put it together and fashion it together and make it look ever so and be able to bring different people with different struggles and different wounds. And then they'd be able to put it there. And then they would shine a light through it. And through that light, an image would be portrayed. Does that sound like the church to anyone else in here? That we've all had moments where we've been fallen short, where we feel like we could be discarded, that on our own standards and in our own ability, that we are not enough unless God comes. And so God lovingly takes us. And he takes the toilet paper roll over here, and he takes the aerosol can over here, and he takes the random piece of wood over here, and he fashions it and he has a vision for it, and he knows how it's gonna happen, and then he shines his light through it, and then God's image is portrayed through it. It's a picture of the church. It's imperfect people taken by a loving creator and made into his image, coming together and fashioned for his glory. That the song we sang earlier talks about like the sun shaping the shadow, in my weakness your glory appears. That the light of God shining, his image is the one that we see. We don't look at the trash as trash anymore. Automatically that trash has value because we see the purpose of it. Each and every one of you have value because there's purpose in you being here. And when God shines his light in us and through us, people will see and they'll give God glory and we find our hope in him. We see this, Warren Wearsby describes it this way, talking about the fact that we've been changed by God. We once were discarded, we are changed by God. He says each time someone trusts Christ, another stone is quarried out of the pit of sin and cemented by grace into the building. That out of our sin, he pulls us out of the miry pit and we are being built into a spiritual house, built into the church. Why? Is it for our own comfort? No, is it so that we could just feel safe around each other? No. Is it so that we could just keep people that are like-minded and look like us, think like us, act like us, live like us, just to keep us safe in a bubble? No. We do that. Why? So that we could become a holy priesthood, offering our bodies as a spiritual act of worship. That as priests, they were servants, that we are called to service. Like Maggie. found out that she could find a loving community and that she was changed by God, but not to keep it to herself, but to help change this world. So we've taken the first several moments of our our sermon this morning to look at the need to have people to do life with, those closest to us that love Jesus so that we can walk alongside, have that community, have that ability to be known and to know others, that people can know us and grow us, and that we could be able to have that life that God has for us. Yet... That cannot be the summation of all of our relationships. That um, I, I work out at times, and um, I had a gym membership. It may have expired. I don't know. But even I know, as someone who doesn't know anything about this, that uh, there's something that happens if people work out. If people want to just look muscular, right? And let's specifically think about guys in which, you know, you want to do your your uh, biceps and your back, you want to do your chest, and you want you to do your triceps, you want to do your abs, you want to do your chest, you want to do, I, I keep wanting to call them trapezoids. I know that's not what they're called. Anyways, um, it's one of those where uh, you want to build yourself up. And so you see these pictures um, of, of different guys who, do this, who build up their bodies, their upper bodies very well. And I didn't want to put a picture up of a person because that would be mean. But I did find a drawing that talks about this, how friends don't let friends skip leg day. We can't just have all muscles upon muscles upon muscles of our upper body and then never work out the lower body and have like chicken legs or or really small legs. And so uh, friends don't let friends skip leg day. Friends also don't let friends skip the opportunity to reach people far from God and only surround themselves with other believers. Because it's comfortable to be able to have community with other believers and have small groups and have that be the summation of our relationships. It's comfortable to only be around people who look like us, think like us, make money like us, and have the same likes and dislikes as us. That's comfortable. But we are not called to be changed by God to be comfortable. We're called to be changed by God to change the world. One person at a time. And so what that means, that emphasizes not just that we need people to do life with, but that we all need people that we can share Christ with. Because if our relationships are all upper body and our evangelism is all skipping leg day, then we're missing out on the impact and the influence that we have been created to have in this world. And so the first part of your notes underneath people to share Christ with says this. We need people to share Christ with. Because we are called to influence eternity. Let's look in the passage, a glimpse of what eternity looks like for some people. 1 Peter 2, starting in verse 7. Now to you who believe, the stone, remember this is referring to Jesus, the stone is precious. Isn't that the truth? When we've tasted and seen the Lord is good, we do not want to let go. Even when things are so difficult, we still try to grasp and cling to him, even when things don't make sense. Verse 7, though, that's talking about the people we do life with. But, verse 7, but to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. That Jesus is our cornerstone when we know Jesus. For those of you who are still on your journey yet, he could be a stumbling block. It could be something where it's, you know, I'm cool with God. Like, I, I believe there is a God, but once we say the name Jesus, that becomes divisive. That becomes harsh. So Jesus even said he didn't come to bring peace. He came to bring a sword. Or at least that would be the ramifications of what would happen. That believing in him would cause, cause division between husband and wife potentially. Or between brother and brother. Or sibling and sibling. Because believing in Jesus is not comfortable. It's not easy. And it's not something that. Or it is something rather that can be a stumbling block to so many people. But this is why it's important for us to do it. Because. We need to recognize that we are called to influence eternity. We need to be lights for people so that they start to see the stumbling block, not as a stumbling block, but as a cornerstone, as that which gives us life, not as one that will make us fall. Verses 9 and 10 show us this point, if you look at your notes, that we are called to be witnesses to who God is by the words we say, by the words we say. Verse eight, it continues on. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. What does this tell us? It shows us that as opposed to the stumbling block, as opposed to the things we talked about last week of our different identities, that we're not rejected anymore and cast aside and left in the pit of our sin, that we've been quarried out of that, polished, made new, and put into and cemented into the grace of the church of the body of Christ through Jesus. And so with that being said, we are now chosen, not rejected, we are chosen people, Not rejected. We are a royal priesthood. That means we are set aside. Again, priest means servant. We are set aside to serve the king of this world and the kingdom of God. We are set apart for service. That we are a holy nation. We are set apart in order to be able to be the people of God. So that when Israel was a holy nation, it was so that other people around them would look and say, there's something different about you. We are called to be a holy nation. That as people look at our lives, they say, there's something different about you. And lastly, that we are God's chosen or valuable possession, that we are special and valuable in his sight. Like we said yes, last week, your value isn't based on anything other than what someone is willing to pay for you. Jesus was willing to pay the ultimate price. Therefore, your value is higher and greater than you could ever imagine. And then we talk about, again, why in verse 9, why have we become a chosen people? Why have we become a royal priesthood? Why have we become a holy nation? And why are, his spe- are we his special possession? Is it so that we could be comfortable? Is it so that we can just have our comfortable life the way that we want it, how we want it, when we want it, and why we want it? No. It's so that we may declare the praises of him who called us out of darkness and into his wonderful light. It's to recognize that people far from God will, will, won't hear the message, but it's our job, our privilege, our honor, our joy to be able to share Christ with people and to help them see that I too was once lost and now I am found. I once was blind, but now I see. I once was mired in the pit of darkness and now I'm walking in his marvelous light. I once was discarded as if garbage on the side of the road and and a loving creator came and shone his light through me so his image would be shown through me. That we are called to declare that. Because we were once not God's people, that God demonstrated his love, that while we were still enemies of his, because we were far from him for our sin, God demonstrated his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us and bridged that gap through his mercy so that we may have right relationship with God. And so we have been people who have made that journey from not being his people and not receiving mercy to being his people and receiving mercy so we can help people along that journey as well. Just like Maggie did, just like you and I have been able to have opportunities to do to walk alongside people, to share Christ with people through the words that we say so we can be able to proclaim and declare the praises of who brought us out of darkness into light. Our last point for this morning as we look at the last couple verses in verses 11 and 12 is we're not only called to be witnesses to who God is by the words we say, we are also called to be witnesses to who God is by the way we live. How do we act What do we do? What do we not do? What stands out about us? Because God has changed us. In other words, if we allow the world to influence us and to change us to become more like it, then we will lose the ability to influence the world and change it to become more like Christ. Verses 11 and 12. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful, na- uh, sorry, sinful desires which rage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. That the way we live would be so different and so good. That people who don't believe in Jesus, who wouldn't agree with us about that, would say, But something's different about you, and and whoever it is, God, Jesus, whatever, whoever that is that has changed you, I want more of that. Or I acknowledge that there's a change that's been made. We recognize, and, and this ties into Matthew 5. The idea that we are the light of the world. And so when it comes to our words and our actions, we are not here to be a light and a candle that we put a bushel basket over because we're afraid of standing up and stepping out. That we're afraid of using our words to proclaim Jesus because what if that means people fall away or or reject us? Well, then we know that even if we've been rejected, we're able to become part of a spiritual house. We're not alone in that. Jesus was rejected and God loved him. We might be rejected and he'll still love us. And then we recognize that through our the way that we live, how it changes. Because we, as Warren Wearsby says, we do not witness only with our lips. We must back up our talk with our walk. There should be nothing in our conduct that will give the unsaved ammunition to attack Christ and the gospel. Our good works must back up our good words. Jesus said this in Matthew five sixteen. And the entire Bible echoes this truth. That Matthew five sixteen is very similar to what we read here in 1 Peter two twelve that that we would do good deeds so that people would see our heavenly Father and give Him glory. So Matthew five thirteen through sixteen hits on this point, and we hit it. We see it here again, First Peter two. Now I want to close um, with this illustration of this section about with an illustration about the witnesses to how we live, and how that can change people's lives or not. In 1805, there's a story of a, of a Native American chief that went to go to Buffalo Creek, New York, in order to hear someone from the Boston Missionary uh, Society named Mr. Cram. And he was preaching the gospel and explaining the need for Christian faith. And they heard the presentation, and one of the um, chiefs there, his name is Red Jacket, After hearing what Mr. Cram had to say, this is how he responds to Mr. Cram. He said, brother, we are told that you've been preaching to the white people in this place. These people are our neighbors. We are acquainted with them. We will wait a while and see what effect your preaching has upon them. If we find it does them good, makes them honest and less disposed to cheat Indians, we will then consider again of what you have said that they knew that looking at how someone's been changed and watching the way they live will be a better barometer of how much God has changed their lives. And so if our gospel, if our lives are going to be a witness to people, it means that we've got to be changed by God. We've got to be plugged in to community. We've got to be able to be, recognize our call to be witnesses through our words and through our actions. It means that people are watching us and they would love to find a reason to see. Well, see, that's why I don't believe in Jesus. You guys are all the same or you always do that or you never do this or how are you better or how are you different? That the world may come against us, but take heart, Jesus says, I have overcome the world. That in this life, you will have troubles. But God is with us in the midst of those troubles and we can have the ability to still be witnesses. Because here's the truth. I love when, I love when you invite someone to our church. And you bring them here. And, and they come and they want to experience it. And they want to learn and want to get to know people. That's awesome. And, and I love that that happens. People can get plugged in that way. And then they get changed by God. And they call to be witnesses. That's a beautiful thing. But the truth of the matter is there are people in your lives who will not walk through those doors. There are people who will not walk through those doors until they've seen the change that God has had in your life. They're not going to come on a Sunday if we look like the rest of the world Monday through Saturday. That they're looking and you can reach the people in your life far better than I can. Why? Because you know them and you are known by them. Because Bringing someone to church and, and hoping that the pastor's message doesn't stink or go too long that day. That, that, that's a real thing. We want to be able to do that. A little more laughter than I would appreciate. It's fine. Um, <laughs> just kidding. Uh, but no, it's this idea of when it comes to that, it's someone telling them that they don't know yet. Remember I talked to you earlier, Shaylin and I, saying there are people who come and they don't know me. And they don't know anything different. But if they know you and are known by you and you come alongside them, and your life is so different, so amazing, so filled with the Holy Spirit, even when everything else seems to be breaking down around you, if that's you, then they cannot help but see the change. And they cannot help but say, I don't believe or agree with you necessarily, but I'm going to give God glory for the fact of the changed life that he's had in your life. And how beautiful would it be if instead of just looking at reaching people for Jesus and sharing Christ with them. How beautiful would it be if it's not just this idea of being invitational and bringing someone to church. How beautiful would it be if we, like Jesus, took heart of not the invitational call but the incarnational call of being like Jesus wherever we are. That we would be the church wherever we are. We move from invitational to incarnational and that makes lives transformational. And so... As we close this series, as we close this sermon, I just want to close with this idea of thinking about the things in our lives that we say we know that the greatest commandment is important to us, that we want to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and we want to love our neighbor as ourself. So here's the challenge for you in this season. It doesn't have to be done by tomorrow, but here's a challenge. As we've looked at the Be Still series and talked about creating margin, eliminating overload, and carving out what's important to us, I want to challenge myself and you all as well. What does it look like to carve out time every week to be plugged into the people and the purpose of the church? What does it look like every week to carve out time to be changed by God to make a change in this world? What does it look like every week to intentionally find people who are different than you or you know don't know Jesus and invite them to lunch or to coffee, have them over for dinner, whatever it may be, to intentionally plan to have influence with those who are far from God and to be called to be witnesses to who he is. Because in this book I read, Creating Community by Andy Stanley and Bill Willits, he says that they say that there are three main relationships. There's a relationship with God. That we need. We need a community with believers, people who know Jesus, and we need influence with those who don't know Jesus yet. And if we could look at our lives, not as how do I fit in the most appointments, how do I make the most sales calls? How do I get all my homework done? How do I just make sure that the chores are done? If those are the small pebbles, we need to do those things, yes, but if that's the summation of our lives of just getting things done. Francis Chan talks about how sad it is for us to succeed at a mediocre life. Instead, we can succeed in having that kind of love that's not a feeling but a willing towards other people to come alongside them, to show them who Jesus is. And we could carve out those things in our schedule. So it doesn't matter how busy and hectic life is. Because we'll still be able to be still and know that he's God we would still be able to be still enough and have our lives slow enough to sit across a table with someone and not looking at our watch or our phone hoping what time is it going to be done, but that we'd be able to know them and to be known by them so we can have people that we do life with, but also the influence in people that we can share Christ with. Father, we thank you for who you are. We pray, Lord, that as we talk through this idea and we discuss these things, Lord, and there are some times where this can feel really overwhelming and it's it's tough. God, I pray for your grace. I pray, Lord, that it's clear to everyone hearing my voice, either here or online later, that this is not a legalistic, we have to be perfect. But Lord, we do need to take the responsibility of being your witnesses and being um, examples. We need to take that to heart and to recognize that as we wear your name, as we live in your name, that people will see us, but they'll also want to see the change that you may have. So God, I pray for the ability to give us space, Lord, this week, to be able to set aside time. How am I planning to be plugged in? How am I planning to be changed by God and make a change in the world? And how am I planning and being called to be witnesses to who you are? Show us, Lord, guide us, meet us here again. And Holy Spirit, may your presence be so prevalent in this moment that we know what you're calling us to do and may we have the courage to follow your voice. In Jesus' name we pray.